Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We want to talk about the spiritual war. Uh, what has is, what is prompted this subject uh, is there, there have been, there's been a lot of talk about deliverance, spiritual warfare, some movies that have come out. Uh, there was recently a, a, someone that visited the city, uh, a young woman from California, touch of God on her life, and uh, it was really a deliverance service. And, uh, and so I thought, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some teaching on this because uh, I, I want to make sure that we understand how to deal with the spiritual war. Now, we're going to go into two different streams here, and I'm going to condense a lot. And really, I think what we're going to have to do is we'll take a Wednesday night, we'll do a so- short series, we can get the whiteboard out and really take a deep dive into this subject matter. But I want to, I want to do a cursory overview this morning on deliverance. And so deliverance is something that we need to understand. There are, there are a lot of believers today that look back at the passages that speak of the demonic and they say, oh, well, you know, that was just superstition. They were, you know, they were ignorant people. They just didn't understand the scientific worldview that we now understand. And uh, that was just God's way of trying to anthropomorphically condescend to them and just try to make sense of something they really didn't understand. I'm going to tell you that's a bunch of hogwash. There is a very real God in heaven that loves you, that sent his son to die for you, and there's a very real devil and hell that want to torment your life and to take you captive. And we live in a war. We don't have the luxury of of saying, you know, I'm I'm not going to sign up for that part of Christianity. There is warfare that we've got to contend with. And uh, so we need to understand. And, And in this day and age, especially with the rampant sexual immorality and the, con- the gender confusion that we're seeing in our culture, that is an open door for the demonic. And so we're going to have to know how to deal with these matters uh, in a greater way than we've ever need to, needed to know in the United States of America. And so uh, scripture is very clear. The job of leadership in the church, I just alluded to it, Ephesians chapter 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, is not to do the work of ministry, but to train others to do so. And so we're going to go into some training this morning. We're going to talk about deliverance. What, what, what are demons? How do they enter? How do we deal with them? And how do we keep them from returning? That's what I hope to deal with in the next 43 minutes or less. So let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I do. I ask that you would anoint my words. And Father, I ask that there would be fire Lord, that your anointing would be on me, that the authority of heaven would begin even now to fill this room. And Lord, we're asking that you would set your people free. Lord, that we would be a people of freedom. Your word says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Lord, we want to be a people of your presence. And so Lord, we're asking, leave no stone unturned. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're, I'm not going 
Uh, I, I like to do review. We'll, we're going to get into a Wednesday night series on this. I'm not going to get into doing a review. If you want to know what we talked about two weeks ago, you can look at it. But I, I am going to say that we, we dealt with what, what uh, Second Temple Judaism taught as the three rebellions or the three entrances of evil into human history. It's very important that we make that distinction uh, because it, it wasn't just the Second Temple Jews. Uh, it was the early church fathers, the apostles, that was the worldview from which they wrote. And so much of the scripture will, will remain a little shaded to you, a little muddy, if you don't understand where they were coming from. There are passages that just simply don't really make sense to the modern believer unless we understand that they looked at three rebellions rather than one. We tend to look at the first one, Adam and Eve falling in the garden, uh, man's sin, and that was what brought internal evil and uh, the fallen nature within man, our propensity towards evil. But there, were, there was a second and a third episode. The second episode would be Genesis chapter six where the watchers entered into the daughters of men uh, so, you know, some people think, oh man, that is just so weird. Yeah, the Bible is weird. And in fact, the weird parts are often the parts we really need to press into and say, God, what's behind this? There's a reason God included those things. And so that was, that was the, that's where the demonic results from. And it's also where much of the external knowledge, occult knowledge comes from. And people that want to tap into that try to conjure demons because they still carry the trade secrets of that, that forbidden knowledge. The third one, as we talked about in Psalm 82, and we're going to get more into this in the second stage of this, this series, and that is the the rebellion of the rogue rulers that are now known as principalities and powers in heavenly realms. Now, what I, I'm not going to get any, in, into that anymore uh, other than to say this. We need to understand there are three distinct episodes of rebellion. There are three distinct groups of players that were involved in those rebellions. And there are three distinct ways in which we are to address the fallout of those three, if you want to call them falls. We don't deal with them the same. The fallen nature of man, we don't cast that out. We are born again, and then we need to grow up into him who is the head. We need to mature. And part of that is, and this, is, this, comes in, this will lead us into the, the whole area of the demonic, is we need to be healed of our woundedness. We need the healing of our souls. When David wrote, he restoreth my soul, he was talking about God doing a restoration within the human soul because our brokenness leaves us vulnerable to the demonic. So we need to be healed in our emotions. We need to renew our mind. The lies you believe can leave an open door for the enemy. And so that's why we need to continually be allowing the Lord to teach us. We've talked about this before, but the fact is, in order to grow, you've got to know. There is no way you can grow spiritually without growing in your spiritual knowledge. Part of growing is your knowing. You're, you're, you're growing in what you understand. And a, uh, you could say that uh, a way that you can address or uh, spiritual hunger is really a sense of spiritual curiosity. If you don't have questions you're wrestling with before the throne right now, then I want to encourage you, get before God and ask him to awaken your hunger. 
there always needs to be things we're asking the Lord. We're stirred in our heart. There needs to be a fascination with heaven, with the nature and the character of God, and, and for that matter, how the spiritual realm works. Now, we talked about this two weeks ago, that one of, the, one of the elements, when you get into dealing with the demonic, we need to understand that man is a Trinitarian being. We are made in God's image. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are spirit, soul, and body. And we are uniquely created in all of creation to be able to engage two realms simultaneously. The very first verse of scripture says this, and in the beginning God created the heavens, plural, and the earth, two realms simultaneously. He created them together because their destinies are intertwined. God never intended for the heavens and the earth to function separately. Man was the go-between, the liaison. We are uniquely created in all the earth. Angels are spirit beings. They, have, they are spirit beings designed for the heavenly realms. Animals are physical beings designed for the earthly realm. But man himself is unique in all of creation because we have a spirit to engage the spiritual realm and a body to engage the physical realm. And in the fall, when man's spirit died, we were severed from that reality. And your redemption was to awaken within you once again an awareness of that reality so that we can engage. We are called, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 and 2, it talks about the carnal man, a mere babe in Christ. It talks about the spiritual man. And then it says the natural man cannot receive the things of God. That's the King James Version, which unfortunately is a better translation than the NIV, which erroneously translated, translates it, the man without the spirit. It's not what the Greek says. The Greek is the word for the, the man of the soul. What Paul is getting at is you can be a believer but not be able to receive the things of God because you're not spiritual, you're soulish. Everything has to be signed off on by your own mind, will, and emotions. If the body is infancy, if, if the flesh is the infant Christian, and that's what Paul says right in the beginning of chapter two. He says, you are fleshly, mere infants. You're still living by your body, the, the impulses of what your body wants. And if the spiritual man is the mature adult, then what is the soul? It's the adolescent. Now the soul is the mind, will, and emotions. Now this is adolescence. In your mind, you think you know everything. In your emotions, you're, you're led by your emotions and you're stubborn in your will. And so we've got to grow out of that. And if, when, we have, when, when we demand that we understand everything before we'll obey, we are at best adolescent Christians and we cannot receive the things of God. So God calls us to a higher plane to be spiritual men and women. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be spiritual? It means that that, that third element, that third component, the uh, equipment that God gave you as a spiritual being is online and functioning. That you are... You are be, uh, sensitive to what's going on around you in the spiritual realm. Your spirit man was created to function in the spiritual realm. Paul talks about spiritual eyes, spiritual ears, of the development of our senses. All of that has to do with your spirit being. 
And we need to learn that. We need to cultivate that. And this is not some weird side issue. Oh, that's, you know, weird mystical church. This is basic Christianity. The tragedy is that when I talk like this in America, people think you're a weirdo. I think it was Watchman Nee said that the church, this was in China back in the, the 50s, he said, the church is in such a backslidden state that when a man's temperature is normal, they think he has a fever and they want to put him to bed. When we're on fire, people think you have a fever. You were made to function as a spiritual man or woman. And that doesn't simply mean that you're a man or woman of character. Absolutely, that, that is included. But it means that you're able to function by your spirit, that you can hear the voice of God, receive the voice of God, that you can discern what's going on in the room and react accordingly. That's what it means to be spiritual. So, when we get saved, we deal with this first rebellion. You don't cast that out. You grow up, you get healed, you learn, and you become a spiritual man or woman. But when it comes to the second rebellion, out of which came the demonic, you don't discipline a demon and you don't cast out bad character. You grow and you, dis you discipline yourself and you get discipled and you grow up in the Lord over here. But over here, we need to learn to deal with the demonic. We resist the devil, we cast him out. We need to learn how to deal with the demonic. And then the third one, and we're going to get into this in our, the next installment on our series sometime in the next few months. Uh, we're going to talk about what, what do you do with these principalities and powers that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. Listen, Paul wrote that stuff for a reason. If when people say that, you know, we don't need to get into that, what you're saying is let's just cut that page out of the scriptures. There is a reason Paul put that in the book, by the Holy Spirit, because we need to understand. And we deal with these elements differently than you deal with someone being demon-possessed. You never see Jesus in his earthly ministry rebuking a principality. He would cast out devils, but he dealt with the, the principalities and powers through the cross, stripping them of their authority and, and parading them in open shame, Colossians says. So now, what do you and I do? We're going to look at that. We're going to get into how worship uh, enables us, equips us to begin to move into those realms and begin to deal with those things so we can deliver a city and not just individuals. Amen? So, okay. So let's look at, the, look at, look at this, the whole thing on the demonic. Once uh, you turn with me to Isaiah 61. Oh my goodness, we've got a half hour left. We need a sign and a wonder this morning. Look at Isaiah 61. This is the passage that Jesus launched his ministry with. He sat down and his town unrolled the scroll and he, he read this. The spirit of the Lord is upon, God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and that he may be glorified. And it goes on. It's a glorious passage. But Jesus read that, and he, when he laid it down, he said, you are watching this be fulfilled in this day. 
He was, he was uh, claiming to be the fulfillment of this passage. And the fact is, there is an application for you and I. We are all called to be anointed of God and carry out the, the, uh, the work of the kingdom. God anoints us for that. Spiritual gifts are for that very thing so that we can function in that way. But I want to highlight two things here. Listen to what he says uh, in verse, well, it's in verse one here. He sent me to uh, bind up the brokenhearted. That's the inner healing element. And then he says, proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He makes a distinction between a captive and someone who is bound in prison. What's the deal with that? Well, if you look up in the Hebrew, the word for captive is somebody who is a prisoner of war. It's somebody who has been taken captive in a battle. Whereas a prisoner, someone who is bound in prison, prison is for a lawbreaker. It's someone who has been found to be guilty of uh, a crime and then he is bound and put in prison. And it really does highlight the two entrances of evil into our life. So let's just pause there and let's, let's ask the, the question that is the elephant in the room. Can a Christian have a demon? Can a Christian need deliverance? I've heard smart aleck preachers say, well, a Christian can have anything they want. What they're really asking is, is it theologically possible for someone to be inhabited by Jesus, by his spirit, and still be under the influence of a demon? Do, would they need deliverance? And, and notice how I worded that because the, the, the modern translations often will translate the phrase demon-possessed, which is in and of itself a problematic translation. The, the real translation of the word, the, the word is something like, uh, uh, well, I wrote it down in my own phonetic way here. If people were to see my notes, they'd be thinking, does that guy know how to spell? Let me read you the word here. If I can find where I wrote it down. Well, I can't. Uh, Damon, Damonazio. Uh, it, really, it's, it's like, uh, it would be better translated under the influence or influenced by a demonic spirit. You say, well, can a Christian be demon-possessed? At one level, I don't think anybody can. I don't think anybody is so owned by the enemy that their will cannot make a decision for Christ when God extends the invitation. So it's not a matter of being possessed. Matter of fact, some scholars say, if you want to use the word possessed, it would be better to say they possess a demon rather than a demon possesses them. The question is, are you influenced by a demonic spirit? That is the question. And the answer is, most certainly Christians can have, be influenced by the demonic at different levels. And some people want to parse it out and say, well, they're oppressed and they're, they're possessed and they're compressed and suppressed and impressed. And, uh, I, the Bible doesn't address all of that, okay? The Bible uses that one word. They're demonized would be the best way for us to say it. And so rather than try to discern, is it in them, on them, between their toes, or just visits, it doesn't matter. I don't want them anywhere around me. I don't want to be influenced by them. I want to deal with them. I want to close the door. I, I was telling a prayer group this week, first time I ever cast out a demon, I was a 21-year-old kid working at a Christian daycare. And I had, a, okay, now the, the, the statute of limitations is 
are gone now. But I had 30 three-year-old kids all by myself. That would be illegal today. So in order to keep my sanity and their safety, I had them all lined up against the wall. They're sitting there. And I was teaching on the little boy who never sinned. And so I was talking about Jesus. I didn't tell him it was Jesus. I said, the little boy who never sinned. Always obeyed his mother. Always obeyed his daycare teacher. I'd really stress that part. And then I talk about, he was always kind. And then he grew up and he began to heal people and deliver people. He was such a nice person. And then they crucified him. And I grabbed one of the kids and I threw them on the floor and I stretched his arm and then they go and they're all wide-eyed and I'm, I'm you know. let's pray for that little boy right now traumatized you know so, but I'm, I'm, I'm down there and, and there was this one little cantankerous little fella he was always getting in trouble and I noticed that every time I said the name Jesus he would put his fingers in his ears it was just kind of strange he would just listen to everything I'd said well He'd listen to some things I said. But every time I'd say, Jesus, he'd do this. Just get this grimacing look. And so I did it half joking, okay? I just reached over, because I'm, I'm just with three-year-olds. I mean, they're a captive audience. I'm crucifying Jesus over here, and I went over and I said, in the name of Jesus, put my... And all of a sudden, his eyes start rolling back in his head, and he starts swallowing his tongue, going into convulsions. Now, I'm not the brightest bulb in the room, but I discerned there might be an issue here. Okay? To which, at 21 years old, I said, Brother Caldwell! He was the director. He was the pastor of the, the daycare. And uh, little boy went through deliverance. I don't know how that thing gained entrance. I doubt if he was really into some evil stuff at three years old. But often what happens is when there's trauma and woundedness in someone's life, a door can be opened that the enemy begins to use as access to their life. And it's what Isaiah is alluding to. There are some people who are prisoners. We violate moral law. And there's three specific areas or umbrella areas that we're gonna talk about this morning that will open you to demonic influence. And if you've been involved in them, we're gonna repent this morning. We're gonna close those doors. We're going to ask God for deliverance for his people this morning. But that's, that has to do with legal ground. That has to do with us making decisions that we open the door to. There are others who have had the door open through what some teachers will call intrusion, which I think is a good word for it. They are more captives in a battle. They're not prisoners that have violated law. They're the collateral damage of a battle, of living in a fallen world and living around fallen people and, and having things happen to them. And often the enemy is a, a, a very good student of human psyche and sociology and psychology and studies people so that he can trip them up. And a lot of times kids will go through things, trauma in their life that begins to be an open door for the enemy to begin to flick them. I'll never forget one Sunday morning I was in worship here and, and uh, as we're worshiping I looked up and you know how there's all the people down here in Heartland's mosh pit, that's what we call it. it uh, there was you know adults and little kids and there was this girl up here and as I looked at her all of a sudden I saw a target on her and I knew she had been targeted by the enemy for sexual exploitation. And I was so troubled I said Lord what, what is this? And immediately I knew that her grandfather had occultically entered into an agreement with the enemy to sell the women in his family if he, could, if, if he would be given power. 
And I'm like, wow, what do I do with this? So I got up and just said, hey, we're going to deal with generational curses this morning. And if there has been inroads in your life, if you look at over your life and there's been a series, there, it's like there's a line of this particular malady or this particular sin or this particular evil or this particular abuse. Come forward. We're going to pray for you this morning. People really got touched. So I went over to that family and prayed and thought, okay, that's, that's that. After the service, the mom I saw her out of the corner of my eye, grab her husband and beeline it over to me and said, we need to talk. I said, what's up? She said, every woman in my family for generation has been molested. My grandma, my, all my aunts, all, she, uh, it's, it's been a way of life for our entire family. I said, well, actually, that's why I gave the altar call. I've seen it on you. So we began to pray about that. I don't, I don't know that those girls had ever been sexually abused, but the fact is, there was a, I saw a spiritual target on them. I, I can't explain it, but it's not a coincidence that what I saw, that mom validated and verified that there was something on this family generationally. There are times where people get into things that generationally that we, now we need to close those doors and deal with that. Because the enemy's always looking for open doors. You say, well, but Pastor Dave, doesn't the bloodline take care of that? Yes, unless it doesn't. So let's just deal with it. And let's ask, ask the Lord for wisdom. If there's anything, if you look at it in your life and you say, man, there's been a, a, a series of these kind of things in my family line then I'm going to do some business with the Lord and ask him, Lord, is there any door open? Is there, the enemy will use that, especially when it's parental. It's like legal authority to begin to afflict the children. If he can get a wedge of fear or a wedge of trauma in there, he can begin to mess with that individual and begin to uh, just afflict them and drive them. And so we need to deal with those things head on because there are demonic entities. They are personalities. They are spiritual uh, beings that have intellect and an agenda, and they want to drive people away from God. And so we need to deal with that. If you, if you recognize in your life, man, I've, I want to go after God. I, I want to serve him. But there's these things. It's times where things will come on me. It's like, I, I'm, I'm, it's like a compulsion. I cannot shake that thought. Then you need to understand that that very well may be a demon. And you just need to ask the Lord about it. Get someone to pray with you. And ask the Lord to give light. And that's where spiritual gifts come in. Often the Lord, I remember Kathy and I were, were hosting some friends of ours years ago. This, I don't think we even had kids yet. So that was a long time ago. And uh, this, this young couple, I had led them to the Lord when I was a youth pastor back in the Stone Age. And so they had uh, come to visit us at Teen Challenge and we were having a prayer meeting. Now we're not that spiritual that we always had prayer meetings with visitors, but that night we were. And uh, so we had a great prayer meeting and so they were going to head to the guest room and the wife walked into the, her name was Paula, she walked into the room, I heard something and then she came back out, she's white as a sheet, she said there's something in that room. And then she said, and I've felt this before. And immediately the Lord said, ask her about Ouija boards. So I asked her, I said, you ever messed with a Ouija board? Well, yeah, as a kid, we just, you know, at slumber parties. And just shared with her that that is occultism. You've crossed a line that is forbidden in Scripture. You're looking to the kingdom of darkness for something you should only look to God to. And in so doing, you have put a welcome mat out in front of your soul. And you've given the enemy permission to afflict you. You chose, you need to unchoose. 
You need to repent, ask God for forgiveness. You need to renounce. Repentance is towards God. God, I'm sorry I did that. I either did it with full knowledge or ignorantly, but Lord, I'm sorry I did that. But then we renounce towards the enemy. We send a message to hell. I am renouncing this activity. I am not taking part in this anymore. You are no longer welcome. There used to be a welcome mat in front of the door of my heart that said, devil's welcome. I'm taking that up, and it's no longer going to sit at the front door. I'm renouncing this thing. So we repent, we renounce, and then God restores. When David said, he restoreth my soul, he's taught... That one of the implications of that phrase is that there, is, there were patches of our soul that we legally gave away. And we need to ask God, God, restore those back to me. Now, this is a whole other subject, and we're going to get into this here sometime in the next few months. Because there is an application of this to deliverance, but there's also an application of this principle to healing. And let me just say this. Deliverance falls under the scriptural umbrella of healing. When we talk about a gift of healing, if you flow in a gift of healing, God wants to add to your arsenal deliverance because deliverance is a form of healing. We see when, when the, the, the Syrophoenician woman come to Jesus and she said, please, my daughter is tormented by a demon. And, Jesus, and she, please heal her. And Jesus said, I can't give the children's bread to the dogs. Remember that? That troubling passage? And she said, well, a little crumb off the table is all I'd need. Even the dogs get to eat that. And he turns and says, man, I have not seen such faith in all of Israel. Your daughter is delivered at this moment. And she was healed. She was cured is the word that's used. So the umbrella of healing, whether it's a physical, emotional, or even spiritual, which includes deliverance, is all under the umbrella of the healing gift. And so when we operate in healing, we need to a lot of times discern, is there a demonic element involved? Because often there'll be a spirit of infirmity that will attach itself to keep people from being healed. The most vivid memory that I have was there was a gal here visiting and uh, we, man, we were in a wave of healing for months at that time and I was on the front row and I was saying, okay, Lord, what do you want to heal this morning? And, uh, and I felt this shooting pain go up my neck and I knew that was a word of knowledge for someone to be healed. And I said to the Lord under my breath, I want something more serious. Lord, I want to see a greater miracle. I want to see like cancer healed or something. And all of a sudden, I think it was my left eye went blind. And then I got worried, God, did I grieve you? <laughs> Is this discipline? <laughs> you know, trying to see again. And I, then I, all of a sudden I could see. It was like I could see just out of the edge. So I knew it was a word of knowledge. Came up, I said, there's somebody here, left eye. You can see just out of the corners. And uh, she comes, she was sitting right over, starts crying, comes forward. Man, I have faith now. I, I've known this woman for many years. I didn't know she had that problem. So, man, I, I've got great faith. I prayed, nothing. I blessed it. I rebuked it. I coddled it. I <laughs> do something. And there was no movement. So I did what every spiritual pastor would do. I had someone else pray for her. I said, Leanne. Leanne got I said, why don't you pray for her? Because I'd, I'd prayed all my faith out on the ground. And as I turned to walk away, old man of faith, the Lord spoke to me and said, ask her how it happened. And I knew that it was connected to a spirit of infirmity. Because what the Lord was getting at is there was a legal right the enemy had to afflict her. So I asked her, I said, hey, how did this happen? And she's, I knew her husband. 
He was a friend of mine, had been to Teen Challenge, had died several years earlier of liver damage from his drug use, but a good guy. He'd come to the Lord and repented and spent his last number of years walking with Jesus. And she said, you know, Pastor, she said, you know my husband, he, he, uh, back in his drug days, he was really drunk and he punched me in the eye one night and it damaged my eye. I can only see out the edges. And I, I said, I never knew that. I said, would you forgive him? She said, Dave, I forgave him years ago. You know, man, he wasn't in his right mind. You know that's not who he was. And I knew. And every indication she was giving was she totally forgive him. And I said, just, just say it out loud. I mean, we'd prayed, remember, blessed, cursed, you know, released, you know, all that. And uh, nothing. She says, Father, I forgive. She got his name halfway out. And poof. It was an amazing lesson for me of how much the enemy is a legalist. He will leverage everything he can to keep you from your freedom and your healing. And if he has a legal precedence to stay, he will. So where we are, we are victims of intrusion, often what happens is we buy into a lie. And it's the lies that we believe that the enemy will begin to leverage against us and he will begin to build his access to our soul. And so we need to deal with that woundedness because often the enemy will push on that and begin to afflict us and it becomes the entry place. Whereas over here, over here we're the victim often of other people's sins. But we've got to deal with those things and get healed. And often what starts as us as the victim of someone else's sin, we become an offender by holding bitterness against them and refusing to surrender. And the enemy will leverage that and begin to gain access to our life. So the other thing is this whole thing of legal ground. So I wanna run through this real quick. If, if, you ever, if you're praying for someone and there is, uh, you, you, you sense that there's a demonic element to that, it might be that God speaks to you, it might be that you see uh, you know, it might be like that little boy with my great discernment. I recognize when his eyes began to roll back in his head and he swallowed his tongue that perhaps there might be a spiritual problem here. So when you discern that, if, then I would ask diagnostic questions. And see, the reason I'm talking about this is it, it concerns me because I see people beginning to flow in deliverance and these things come through the body of Christ and I'm not minimizing our need. I think this is God. I think this re-emphasis is from heaven. My concern is that we just operate in a power encounter that people get a little bit of freedom only to become worse off later on because they haven't closed the door in their life. And so it's not good enough just to have an experience of momentary freedom. Let's close the door so they can't gain re-entrance. Jesus himself told us in Matthew, was it 11 or 12? I think 11. He said, when a strong man is fully armed and protects his house, his palace, then his goods are protected. But if a stronger one comes and strips him of his armor, then his house can be plundered. Right after that, he begins to talk about, and when an evil spirit leaves, it goes into the dry places, the waterless places. It's an analogy of the places where the Spirit of God is not moving. That's why it's so crucial for us to engage 
in those songs that Jason was leading us in this morning from a heart level. Spirit pour out. We need to live in the moist atmosphere of the Spirit's presence. We need to drink from the wells of salvation. We need to release the rivers in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need to be walking in the unity of the dew, and we need to be crying out for the heavens to open for outpourings. Because when that happens, and I'm telling you, if you've ever been in a season of revival, you recognize, wow, deliverance starts to happen more. Why? Because they're driven to the surface. I was talking to someone at one of the prayer meetings this week, and we we're talking about how Paul was shipwrecked, and he was when they were shipwrecked, he went to put some wood on the fire, and it says this little phrase, and there was a serpent that was driven to the surface by the heat of the flame. When the fire of God begins to move, you begin to see those things manifest. Sometimes people begin to feel real agitated, like, I want out of here. That is a pretty good indication that there's something going on beyond you just being uncomfortable. And so those things are driven to the surface. So when that happens, we need to ask diagnostic questions. The number, if you don't have any leading of the Lord, 80% of the time you'll get, you'll get it with this question because it's so common, and that is, is there anybody you need to forgive? What's the scriptural basis of that? Ephesians chapter four, Paul said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, comma, don't give the enemy a foothold. Or it's also translated ground. It's a military term. It's like you're giving him a patch of ground in your soul because of your unforgiveness. Matthew 18, remember the parable of the unmerciful servant. Jesus tells this troubling parable. We don't have time to get into this morning, but read it. It's talking about unforgiveness. And he said, if you do not forgive, you will be turned over to the tormentors. Who are the tormentors? It's what we're talking about this morning. So when we hold bitterness in our life, when we have unrighteous judgments, and that's not to say that, that per what that person did was okay. It's just that you do not retain the right to be the judge. There's only one judge, and that's he who sits in the heavens. And the whole message of Matthew 18 is that, well, Ephesians and Colossians both use this phrase. Forgive one another in God, or in Christ as God hath forgiven you. Let me say it again. Forgive one another in God, or in Christ as God has forgiven you. What he's doing is he is setting the standard for your forgiveness, the, the, the measure, the, the standard is all you have to do is forgive to the extent you've been forgiven. And if you really see yourself for you, the, the message of Matthew 18 is you are the unrighteous servant who owed millions of dollars but wants to grab the fellow servant by the throat who owes you a few thousand. And all the other servants were troubled. That's the context of Jesus saying you'd be turned over to the tormentors. So when we pick up the right to remain bitter and not forgive, it's because we have not seen our sin for what it is. The real issue of unforgiveness is in actuality self-righteousness. We think we're better than we are. Matter of fact, when Jesus called that servant to account, he said, just give me time. That was laughable. If you do the calculations, this guy, he owned 
owed at least tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Time was not going to solve the problem. A mere servant with 10 lifetimes was not going to be able to pay his way out of this debt. And that's the message. Only Jesus can pay our debt. And when we see how much we've been forgiven, what does Scripture say? Love keeps no record of wrong. He who is forgiven much loves much, and love keeps no record of wrong. That's what I was looking for. Okay. He who has been forgiven much loves much. If your love is burning low, you know what you need to do? Get back before God and take an old journey through that sanctified hall of shame to remember from which you came. And it'll awaken affection for God back in your soul. And if it's real, you will not be able to hold anything against anybody else. You will release them. And that's where freedom is. There have been times where we've been in healing services or, or in services and uh, I, I remember one night there were two ladies that both of them, as we began to pray for healing, I, one of them was a hip issue, I don't remember what the other one was, uh, but both of them, as I prayed for them, the Lord said, they have unforgiveness. So I asked them, I said, is there anybody you need to forgive? One of them about spit in my face, yeah, my mother-in-law and my daughter-in-law. Like, whoa, okay, <laughs> Whew, come out, you know, it's like... And so I asked her, I said, well, the Lord told me that you have bitterness and that's keeping you from being healing. There's, there's a spirit of infirmity that's attached itself to you. The other one was very similar, just not as, didn't spit it out as much. I don't remember who they, and I don't remember which one was healed, but I remember I said, I told him, I said, you're not gonna get healed until you forgive. I said, I'm gonna go pray for others and I'll come back around, I'll look for you. But in the meantime, you do business with Jesus because you're not getting healed until you forgive. Because It's scriptural. There was a spirit of infirmity that had a legal right. So I went out and prayed for others, and I came back to her. And one of them said, okay, through gritted teeth, I forgive. And she got healed. She wasn't enthusiastic about it, but she got healed. God is so merciful. And the other one said, you have no idea what they've done to me. And I just told her, I said, listen, you are binding yourself to this thing. And the tragedy is she walked out with her illness, refusing to forgive. I'm telling you, bitterness will open the door to tormentors. And I don't want to minimize what any of you have been through. Some of you have been through horrendous things. But where sin abounds, grace doth all the more abound. The grace of God is here for you to release them. And what God wants to do is take you from the prosecuting attorney to where he, actually, I'm not pressing charges, but where he really wants to get you is where you're, you're paying for the defense. You're before the throne of God. God help them. They didn't know what they were doing. If Jesus could pray that on the cross when he was blameless, how much more should we when we've been there? And so God wants to bring us to that mature place. We become the intercessor for our abuser, Hallelujah. That's the gospel, okay? So if you don't have any light, ask them, is there anybody you need to forgive? Explain to them. You just, we, need to, we need to pray this. We're going to repent. We're going we're to uh, ask God to forgive us, and we're going to declare with our mouth out loud, I forgive them. Number two, occultic involvement. 
That is on the rise in this nation. Occultic involvement is anything, witchcraft, uh, Ouija boards, seances, all of that stuff that we get into uh, in our culture. Just because it says Milton Bradley on a box doesn't mean it's not demonic. Okay? And so when we do that, we're getting into forbidden territory. Very clear from Scripture that God covered that. And when we do so, we open the door to the demonic. And we need to close that door. And we need to repent, ask God forgiveness for that involvement. Renounce it. I renounce my involvement with the occult. Any agreement I made, consciously or unconsciously, through that activity. And I'm setting on notice. I am not in partnership with darkness anymore. And now, God, I'm asking you to restore to me that patch of ground. And then number three, and this is on the rise, we've already alluded to it, is sexual perversion. And the greater the perversion, the more likely that you have opened the door to the demonic. The demonic was actually the result of perverted relationship with these watcher angels and the daughters of men. And it, it, that's, that was the entrance and sexual immorality and that perversion opens the door. And in this culture where kids have so ready, such ready access to pornography, the enemy wants to get in and begin to drive and this obsession with sexual things where we were feeling that all the time. I remember as a young man, I, I found pornography the first time when I was about five years old. To this day, I can... It, it's strange, you don't see printed pornography much anymore, I don't think, but the, the paper they printed it on had a certain smell. We would find it in the woods. And I can still, I, I would recognize that smell to this day. It made such an imprint on my little soul. And it twisted something in me. And when I got saved, I got saved. And I wanted to live righteous. I wanted to live holy. But I remember being tempted with pornographic thoughts. And I remember having a conversation with the, I, I, I was I was at a room at Teen Challenge and these thoughts were barraging me and I said, there, I'm, I'm thinking very strongly in my heart, there is no way, I'm not gonna give in to those thoughts, I'm not gonna go down that road. And as I said that, all of a sudden I looked up and through the door came this shadowy figure, it was a, it was a female demonic being with these flowing robes walking towards me and I jumped out of bed, come down, scared the spit out of me. But what it did is it made me realize that I wasn't merely dealing with an internal battle of my own twisted thoughts. There was an entity, there are personalities that were trying to impose their thoughts on me to cause me to own them so then I would begin to behave out of those thoughts. And so we need to realize that sexual immorality can open the door. And there are some of you that you have thoughts that are not your own, but the enemy wants to impose them on you. And this year, he's the father of lies. You want some of that. And then in this year, he's the accuser of the brother. And some believer you are. If you really love God, you wouldn't think that. And in actuality, the enemy is leveraging your own sincerity against you. Those of you who aren't sincere, doesn't bother you when you're tempted. Doesn't bother you when those thoughts come. One of the ways you can recognize if it's coming from within or without is if it's coming within, you're comfortable with it and you cultivate it. If it's coming from without, you're like, you're, you're rebuking it and pleading the blood and all that stuff because you're like, what, where is this coming from? Many of you remember Pastor Quimby. Precious man. I just talked to him on the phone. He told me to send his love. He's probably watching. I, he, he said he turns into Charles Stanley and then someone else and then finally tunes in here. 
I, I said this to him. I said, Quimby, I'm so glad that you finally get some good preaching. <laughs> to which, I mean, he didn't miss a beat. He said, yes, and I'm hoping it continues now that Charles is dead. <laughs> I laughed out loud. I thought, man, Quimby, you haven't lost it. I mean, he just like that. But Quimby... Uh, he shared with me one time, he, he, he and his wife mentored me in the Lord in the things of the Spirit. I'm so grateful for it. And I don't remember the context of the conversation, but you, those of you who know Quimby, he is such a gentle. I've seen men, grown men in a rage, cursing at him, coming towards him, and Quimby would just get up, tears rolling down his cheeks and open his arms and just hold them and they'd just break. The guy is the most gentle man but he told me, he said, Dave, there's times where I'm praying for, I'll be praying for a little old lady at the altar. And all of a sudden this thought will come in my mind. I wonder if, what would happen if I just punched her in the mouth. <laughs> no. I was so grateful Quimby said that. Because I'm going to make a troubling confession as your pastor this morning. <laughs> there are times I have these crazy thoughts. But what I know, Quimby's character that is an external thought. And a lot of you were like I was before Quimby shared that revelation with me. That I end up owning something that's not mine. I give up the ground of victory. Now I'm fighting for something I had a few minutes ago. Rather than fighting from victory, I'm fighting for it. So we've got to discern the enemy and we've got to recognize those thoughts. So we have run out of time. I want you to stand. We want to, I'm going to ask the ministry team to come forward and we're going to take a few minutes here this morning. If you have, I felt prompted during worship this morning that there's some of you who are being tormented in the night. You know that there's dreams that you have that are demonic. And some of you, there's even like a, a presence that comes into your room. And there's some of you that it's like you're tormented. It's uh, even, even frozen in bed, it's like you can't move and you know it's demonic. I'll tell you, God wants to deliver you this morning. And so don't, don't, uh, don't be shy about those things. We all have different things we struggle with. And if the enemy's afflicting you, I want to invite you to come forward. We're going to have the prayer team just lay hands on you. We're going to deal with this right now. Others of you, if you have, if you're struggling, and let me just preface this. A lot of times you start, oh, pastor's going to go through a list and then he wants me to parade down there in front of everybody. Like everybody's guessing, which one are they up there for? <laughs> you know what? If anybody was immature enough to do so, that's between them and Jesus, and they need to be down here getting prayer. Man, I want freedom. I don't care. It, it doesn't matter what you think of me. I want heaven to think of me correctly. And frankly, I want hell to think of me correctly. Amen? So, yes. Okay, yeah, let's grab the mic. And so some of you, if, you have, if you've been struggling with bitterness, uh, I want to encourage you, come down and let's deal with that. Let's, let's close those doors this morning. If you've been involved in the occult or there's things in your past that you feel like, man, there's been an open door and I just want to deal with that, uh, we're going to open the altars. Go ahead, Andy's got a word for us. I just felt like there were some people here that um, you've struggled with some demonic things and you know that you have. Um, but one of the things that comes at you is like a fear of retaliation and like, like the enemy is buffaloing you and he's, he's making you feel like if you come forward and you, you come to get free of this, like it's going to get worse and he's like, he's not going to relent. And I just feel like the Lord wants you to know that that's a, like, that's the enemy, that's his ploy and that there is freedom for you. So I just yeah. want to invite you to come forward yeah. if that's you. 
Yes, amen. Yeah, to the enemy, the, the way we deal with this, the way there's no retaliation because he has no legal right to if we deal with it, amen? All right, so if you need prayer this morning, come forward. Don't, don't miss this opportunity. Let's just, let's just deal with that. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.